This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, December 10th, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. The stability of financial markets has been made worse by morphing bailouts, the Treasury Department's latest floated ideas, and industries bellying up to the government trough. Cato Institute senior fellow Steve Hankey has some advice for the next president. First, do no harm. What advice do you have for uh, President-elect Obama and the 2009 Congress to mitigate the problems that have been created up to now? Don't, don't pull any new rabbits out of your hat and stop scaring the public and, and uh, minimize the number of hearings uh, that we're having on Capitol Hill and, and uh, we, we, we don't need any more circus acts up there. This is what's scaring the public because it's public confidence now that's completely eroded because they, they don't trust any any leaders and uh, they, they are very skeptical of anything coming out of Washington. So I think shut down Washington as much as possible and, and do as little as possible and let the market uh, repair itself and, and uh, spontaneously bounce back from this financial crisis that we've been in. If they do that, I think by the end of 2009 or early in 2010, we'll be on a recovery path. If they keep intervening and keep debating bailouts and, and all these other things, the, 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 the whole process is just going to be stretched out for a much longer period of time. The, the major lesson is that the crisis was created by massive government failure. Uh, on the one hand, you had the central bank pushing interest rates down to artificially low levels, 1% federal funds rate in July of 2003 that lasted for a year. This created a credit bubble. Uh, the Congress uh, then uh, also, at about the same time, was pushing for more money to be forced into affordable housing. And, and the subprime and alternate A mortgages were virtually invented at about the same time the Fed punched those rates down to 1% in July of 2003. And so uh, the credit bubble was created. A lot of that credit was channeled uh, via government-sponsored enterprises, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. These are two large mortgage institutions, as you know. Uh, who were buying up or guaranteeing most of these subprime alternate A mortgages and, and by 2007 had a total exposure in that area of about a trillion dollars. So remember, the GDP of the country is only about $14 trillion. <laughs> So they had a huge amount of that credit bubble that got pushed into housing and created a housing bubble. You had both of these bubbles bursting at the same time, and we're, we're, we're in the soup that we're in. Now, we're, we're in a worse mess because of the government response, of course. We had the, the Secretary of Treasury trotting out a $700 billion bailout package, and, and that failed the first time around when uh, the Congress did not pass it. And to get passage, the politicians proceeded to scare the public half to death, indicating that if they didn't pass it, they would lose all our 401ks, the, the economy would completely disintegrate, crash and burn, and you, you name it. And it did pass the second time. Since then, 
it, it has morphed into various kinds of rescue packages and bailouts and so forth, and the, and the debate and circus on Capitol Hill continues to this day. In what ways did rules governing how the Fed operates completely fail to take account of human nature that probably ought to have been expected? Well, the, 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 the Fed um, created what really was a, a demand bubble in the economy. The, over the Greenspan years of 18 years, uh, when he was chairman of the Fed, the average rate of growth or trend rate of growth in the nominal spending aggregate demand in the economy was running about 5.4%. Uh, about 2% of that was inflation and 3.4% was real growth. And by 2003, once they punched punch the interest rates down artificially below where they would have been, the aggregate demand, that number went up, it, it was almost 8%. So something had to give. You, you, you know, you, the the economy either either had to grow at a record real rate of growth, which which is virtually impossible. We were up pushing on capacity then at the time, or inflation had to burst out, or a bubble had to burst. You know, it has to be asked then the way the government has intervened and is likely to continue to intervene. Are we at a point where we can say that the United States is a European-style socialist country, or is that yet to come? Well, I, I don't think we're uh, close to the levels of e European socialism. However, we're moving rapidly in that direction. That all, all of these interventions that are occurring now or, or ha have occurred, this, all this subsidized affordable housing uh, with mortgage money uh, being either uh, guaranteed or or uh, bought up by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, these government-sponsored enterprises. Uh, those are socialist-type policies. That's that's what got us in the trouble, and we, we got we've gotten into in the first place. And uh, I think there just seems to be no end in sight. Every day there's a hearing on Capitol Hill, and somebody's coming hat in hand to get yet another bailout. If it isn't automobiles, it's somebody else that wants to be bailed out. And it's very difficult once you once you start bailing to turn someone down. I mean, on on what basis aren't you going to give someone money money if they come in? Is there a larger moral hazard issue for? Almost every participant in the the economy here, given the the manner in which uh, Congress, Treasury, I, the President, and the Fed have acted over the past eight weeks. Well, I, I think the, the the another lesson to to put it in terms of lessons that we can learn is this, really the lesson that should have been learned if you if you look at the scholarship of the Great Depression and the New Deal, and that is that the the New Deal put so much regime uncertainty into the system. And what I mean by that, that's just a, a euphemism for uncertainty about your property rights and, and, and uh, so forth, that people kind of hung back and, and, and didn't get in and, and start investing again and, and after the Great Depression got going because they were afraid of what the New Deal was going to do next. And as a result, the the expansion was was kind of there was a spontaneous expansion after 1933 but it was held down 
to a great degree because of the government policies. And then uh, actually we went into an, another sharp recession in 1938. But most of this, the scholarship indicates that it was because of the New Deal and government interventions that were creating so much uncertainty in the economy that they, they never let the economy really repair itself. And, and so to put it in other words, the, the Great Depression kind of strung out for a lot longer. The growth was a lot slower than it would have been if the New Deal hadn't come around. The New Deal really didn't save us from anything. It just kind of prolonged and stretched out the Great Depression and, and put a, kind of a cap on the recovery that, that actually there, there was a spontaneous recovery. We, did, we didn't have to wait until a lot of people think another great myth of the Great Depression is, well, fortunately, World War II came along and rescued us from the jaws of the Great Depression. That's not true. The market economy rescued us However, it was handicapped. It was, you know, it was it was like a swimmer with a 50-pound weight around their neck uh, coming out of the Great Depression due to the New Deal policies creating a lot of uncertainty in the market. Steve Hankey is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read much of his work at our website, cato.org.